Well, if you're here visiting with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to be able to give you one. It's our gift to you. And all you need to do is kind of lift your hand up and they'll make sure you have one. And uh, you are welcome to do that. Well, there we go. Well, today is the third part in our series, Running on Empty, and uh, as you know, next week I will be on my way to Israel, so uh, Mike will wrap up the series on Running on Empty and learning what it means to find our strength in the Lord and to uh, find our rest and our peace in Him. Uh, But this morning, I want to specifically talk about the means to perfect peace, the means to perfect peace. Um, I think oftentimes we get so busy, so busy doing the things that we do each and every day that it leads to exhaustion, which robs us of our peace. And it all ties in together with this whole concept of we need to fall at the feet of Jesus. Um, I set out a word of caution the first week in, in part one, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's a verse that's so common. We've heard it a million times, and we just kind of gloss over it because we really don't understand what it means to really come to Jesus, to find a rest in Him. And then last week, we continued in part two in Isaiah 40, 31, uh, waiting on the Lord, and waiting is not inactivity. It's not sitting around just doing nothing. It's staying faithful and being obedient and doing those things that we know are right to do as God leads us and as we and are in sync with the Holy Spirit, and He t- takes us step by step into the direction that He wants for us. And I think that's kind of what, in my mind, what kind of leads to today's lesson, is that the idea is that if we're not careful, if we're not walking in sync with the Holy Spirit, we get busy doing a lot of things that really don't matter. But we're busy doing them, because that's what we do. Um, I think I can say with confidence that we all want peace. But we don't have peace because we're tired, because we're exhausted, because we're busy, because we're doing because we are doers. And I uh, remember, I think it was Mike Grubbs who's made a comment, that God created us to be human beings, not human doings. And, uh, but we're so busy doing that we forget that we can't just sit at the feet of Jesus sometimes. So I'm not talking about world peace, though that would be great too. I think it's kind of a far-fetched idea at this point in history. Um, I'm not talking about peace in contrast to violence between people or groups, though that would be wonderful. Um, I'm talking about peace in contrast to struggle and difficulty. Because I think as long as we are alive, as long as we are human, we're going to face struggle, right? There are going to be difficulties. There's going to be times of temptation. There's going to be times of frustration. There's going to be chaos. You can't get around that. We live in a world that is filled with it. Both personally, corporately, uh, as a world that we live in, we we are going to struggle with it. What I'm referring to today is peace that becomes you that comes because you are trusting in God, because you are purposefully positioning your mind on God, because you trust completely in Him and what He is doing in your life. Let me say that one more time because it's a mouthful, I know. The, re- the peace that I'm referring to today comes because you are trusting in God. Now here's the second part. Because you are purposefully positioning your mind on God, because you trust completely in him and what he's doing in your life. And this thought process, this knowledge comes straight from the scripture. But before we examine what the word of God has to say about this type of peace, let me highlight a few reasons why I believe we don't experience this kind of peace. 
Um, as we get started uh, today, I'm certain that a few of you won't like what I have to say. I just kind of put that out there in front of you already, because you're going to say, you Pastor, you're up in my business. Uh, that's not my intention, but I know that it's going to happen. So just kind of bear with me. But I feel it's a message that we all need to hear and truths of which we need to be reminded. So here we go. So let me give you three quick thoughts about this before we get into the references. Um, but first of all, number one, I believe that there are things that rob many of us of our peace that are self imposed. A lot of things that we experience that rob us of our peace, that, that, that create exhaustion in our life that are self-imposed. Number two, I believe that many of us are all too easily willing to live with a lack of peace. We don't like it, but we're willing to live with it. We don't like it enough to change. And then, of course, that leads into number three, that many of us are not willing to change what we are doing to gain the peace that we desire and the rest that we desire. So let me just kind of back up just for a moment. I believe that there are things that rob many of us of our peace that are self-imposed. We do it to ourselves. And before I get into Scripture, just for a moment, don't raise your hands, but in our minds, mentally picture, answer this question. How many of us are busy doing things that really do not matter in life? I say all of us. If we're honest with ourselves, there are those key things. I mean, we have to have a job. We have to provide for our families. And by the way, as we've said many times over the years, God gives us a job so that we can have a mission field, right? <clears throat> there's a lot of things that we do that create a busyness. But then there's also things that rob us because we're busy doing things that don't really matter, like spending three hours in front of a TV every night. When we could be resting, when we could be working or reading or studying or praying, any number of things. You say, well, Pastor, you do that every night for three hours? No, I don't. I'm talking about the praying part. Um, I wish I'd spent more time, like all of us. But if we're not careful, we let things that don't matter get in the way of the things that do matter. And they're self-imposed. So let's look at a couple of these passages of Scripture. First of all, turn your, your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Let me give you what I believe is a root of a lot of this. Philippians chapter 4, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and chapter 4. It says this, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Think about that. I have learned that in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Turn over a few pages to the right to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Let's go over a few more pages to the right once again to the book of Hebrews and chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. It says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, so what, what is the idea behind getting so busy is that we have gotten to the idea that, or to the realm of those worlds, worldly goods that creates a mindset that we're never content. You, you, we come to the idea that we work for a living and we have this in, income that we, live, that we depend upon and we kind of disperse it in different areas of our lives. I don't know about you, but Walmart gets a portion of my, my paycheck every week and Wigman's gets a portion of but, but then, then there's other, other things, other things that we don't really necessarily need, but we really want them. And we kind of get to the point where we live with no margins. I mean, if we make $40,000 a year, we spend forty-one. dollars right? I mean, or 
however it is, that, how many ever thousands that you have on credit card debt. Uh, so, so we live with a certain amount, and then we overextend it so that we have no margins. We can live life as long as there's no problems. I mean, life is good, bills are paid as long as the car doesn't break down. Life is good, bills are paid as long as the water heater doesn't go out. I mean, life is good, bills are paid as long as there's no extra medical emergency, right? I mean, most of us live with the idea that we don't teach ourselves to live within margins so that when the difficulty comes, we can account for it. Whether we like to admit that or not, it's true. So then it begins a process of, wow, I needed just a few more hours. I wish I had just a, a, you know, a couple more dollar raise per hour. I wish maybe he'd raise my salary, my fixed salary, just a little bit more so that I could just have a little bit more breathing room. But when, when we get that raise, that little incremental input that, you know, that our bosses give to us, then what happens? We fill it with something else, don't we? Let's be honest. We go out to eat a little bit more. We buy a little bit more things from Walmart and Wegmans and everything else. And all of a sudden, we're not content because a little bit more allows us to do just a little bit more. And a little bit more allows us to get just a little bit more to the point that we create an environment that we're just tired. Because now I got to pay for all these things, I got to maintain this lifestyle. I got to get to this place to where I can have this and cover this. And don't take what I'm about to say wrong, but over the years, I've had numerous people come to me and say, Pastor, I can't, I can't afford to live. I can't pay my power bill. I can't pay my light bill. I can't pay my gas bill. I can't pay this. And I think to myself, as any man would, how much do you pay for cable every month? Hmm. Now, I'm meddling. I told you I was going to make some of you mad. I'm just telling you. I'm meddling. How much do we pay for Starbucks lattes? How much do we pay for movies? How much do we pay for you fill in the blank, whatever it is that you enjoy? And trust me, two hands and a foot, I like those things too. I'm just saying. We create an environment where there's no margin that robs us of our joy, it robs us of our peace, it robs us of our rest because we have to maintain I can remember when we first married, and uh, it was a struggle. I was telling somebody this the other day, so we were dinks. And if you don't know what a dink is, I didn't know what a dink was either. Double income, no kids. Now, but let me just give you the fine line, the little small print that, you know, they got to get the magnifying glass out for. We were both teaching in a Christian school. I made $9,000 a year. My wife made eight. I was a girls varsity basketball coach. I got a little, little addition above her. 17 grand, we were raking it in, boy. I'm telling you, we were living high. All right? No. It was a struggle. And, you know, I really liked, as a, as a young guy, I, I liked the adventure stuff. I liked cable. And I remember looking at my wife saying, man, we can't afford cable. Call up the cable company, shut it off. But by doing that, I could pay the light bill and the power bill and the gas bill. You see, sometimes there has to be a, a willing to sacrifice and a willing to put off and a willingness to get rid of to create the peace. And that's why I say most of what we experience in our exhaustion is self-imposed. We have to keep going. We have to maintain. We have to keep covering what we are getting, what we want to do, the places we want to go. I have friends who say, call me up and say, Ken, I think I'm about filed a bankruptcy. I said, really? I said, why are you doing that? He goes, man, I'm just, I just can't keep up. 
And I said, well, none of my business, but you have credit card debt? He goes, yeah, like $10,000. And I said, wow. I said, didn't you go to Orlando last year? Like just a few months ago? He goes, yeah. Went to Disney World. I said, what did that cost you, like seven, $8,000? He goes, yeah, that's what's on my credit card. He goes, I can't keep up with it. I said, let me, let, me, let me get this straight. You want to file bankruptcy because you wanted to go have fun and pay for it with something that you didn't have the ability to pay for it for with. And that's now going to be bankruptcy. I said, that was all self-imposed. That's not right. We create the struggle so often. I know I'm meddling. But we create the struggle that robs us of the very joy that we seek and the rest that we want. Because we're not content. We want just a little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. If I had just a little bit better this, a little bit more of that, we'd feel better. We'd feel more secure. More of this, more of that, wouldn't we? We, we? we convince ourselves of that. So many of us are not living with a mindset of contentment. We want more. Number two, the other, number two of being self-imposed is many of us are living a life of fear and anxiety. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to jump on this one just for a moment because some of you, uh, I know, say, well, it's not me. It's not, that's not how I work, but okay. Let's see what Scripture says. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. I want to read uh, verses 25, 26, and 27. It says this. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, than the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Just think about that for a moment. We worry. We go through life worrying about the what-ifs, worrying about the, you know, what might happen that would, probably will never happen, but we're convinced it will. And so, you know, we might have a financial breakdown or a crisis or we might, you know, the house might catch on fire and I'm going to need a big deductible. And I mean, the, the, the tire might, might, you know, might, might go flat and, I, I, and we worry and we worry and we worry. So we have to make sure that the bank account is just growing and growing and growing. And the only way to get it growing, growing, growing is I got to put in more time and work more hours and, and do more this and more that. And we live life out of worry. I'm not talking about being wise. It's wise to have some set aside. But it's not wise to be so consumed with it that it just robs me of my joy, robs me of my peace, robs me of my contentment. Turn back to the book of Psalm, chapter 55. Psalm, chapter 55. I'm going to have you jump around a little bit this morning as we see what God's shared on my heart to share. Matthew, chapter 55, and verse 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Do we really believe that? See, if we really believe that and we're willing to cast every burden, every anxiety, every frustration, every concern on God, and knowing and having confidence that he'll take care of you, that's golden. But it takes trust. It takes faith. And he says very clearly, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Do we believe that? Because if we really believe that, we won't be living life out of fear and anxiety. 
God's got this. He's got it. I don't have to worry about it. Or how about 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7? Casting every care upon him, for he what? Cares for you. Do we believe that? See, if we truly believe that, we don't have to live life out of fear or anxiety. We live life as though we have to make everything work out for our own good. And in the pressures of making everything work out, we're just exhausted. Mentally, physically, emotionally, because we have so much to do, so much to worry about, that we just never rest in the Lord. We live life with a what if mentality. We worry what most likely we worry about what will most likely never happen. Uh, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter twelve for a moment. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter twelve. And verse 25, he says, And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I mean, think about it. He says, all the worry in the world, all the worry. I mean, you, you might even be a professional worrier. I mean, you got this down. You know how it works. Not going to change a thing other than rob you of your joy, rob you of your peace, rob you of the, of the contentment that God wants you to have. And Isaiah chapter 40, last week we looked at Isaiah 41, but in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, he says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my right, righteous right hand. Fear not. What is it that you fear? What is the what if that you're facing? What is it that you just can't let go of that is robbing you of your joy? Because really it's self-imposed. I believe there's a third reason. Or secondly here, I believe that many of us are all too easily willing to live with the lack of peace. What do I mean by that? We don't like our circumstances, but we don't not like them enough to change. I think we as Americans are the most easily accepting people there is when it comes to being satisfied. We're just satisfied. Good is, you heard me say it many times, good is good enough. Okay is okay. I'm kind of happy with the way things are. I mean, I mean, could, I mean we look around and we've had this, this uh, cliche. I mean, it could be, I mean, look, look at so-and-so. It could be like them. I mean, it's a whole lot better than that. I mean, I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it could be worse, I mean, right? I mean, but we are so willing to accept good enough, even though we may not like it. We are so willing to accept okay, because okay is just okay. I mean, I realize I'm not that, and I'm not that, and I'm not that and that, so I'm not up there, I'm not down there, I'm kind of in the middle, I'm okay. And we're willing to accept that. Rather than pushing forward and learning and growing and moving and letting God do new things in and through us, we are willing to accept too easily the norms. And I think that's because many of us are not convinced that anything is ever going to change. We've lost hope, we've lost faith. We're willing to deal with the circumstances because I really don't think it's going to get any better. You know what that says? God's not able. It just says God's not able. It says I've got to deal with it myself. It says I'm going to hold on to these burdens that I'm bearing. It means that I'm just going to like 
you know, like just hug it real hard because nothing else. I mean, it's, I mean, I may not have much, but I got this burden. I'm going to hold on to it. So we treat it like, rather than saying, God, I laid it at your feet. Say, is that a big deal? Yeah. Look at back in Deuteronomy. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 4 says this. It says, your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord God to walk in his way. To really properly set this whole passage up, you have to remember what the, what the children of Israel were going through. Remember? They, God looked down and he says, I, I know what you're going through. I've heard your screams by reason of your taskmasters. I know how they whip you. I know how they beat you. I know how they treat you. And after a while, they didn't like the hardship. So they cried out. God delivered them. But even after they were delivered, they went through more hardships. Why? Because we're always going to have them. It's what God uses in our lives to mold us, to shape us, to make us into who he wants us to be. And after a while, they just got tired of it. And they said, you know what? Oh, well, we should just have gone back and stayed back in Egypt. At least there we had food and water. I mean, wait a minute. Are you forgetting that your, that your, your masters beat you? Are you forgetting that I took care of you? Are you forgetting that you cried out because you didn't like it? They're willing to just accept it. It's not going to get any better. And what did God say? He said, I have a land that's flowing with milk and honey. I want to give it to you. But they are willing to accept good as good enough. Okay as being okay. Even though they didn't like it. Another passage of scripture in the book of Zephaniah. Not a, Zephaniah chapter 9. I'm sorry, chapter 1. And verse 12. says, And it shall come to pass that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in... What's that word? Complacency. Wow. Who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. I mean, he's just mediocre, just kind of in the middle. He's not this, he's not that, but we're just satisfied. We're complacent. There's a Latin word that is tied in very um, tightly with the, with the Greek word. It's called apatheo. It means it's the word for which we get the word apathy. You know what the word means, literally? Not convinced. People who are apathetic are people who are not convinced that anything else is going to change, that it's ever going to get better, that God is not able. It really stems out of a heart that does not trust God. It stems out of a heart of one who does not have faith that God is powerful enough to change the circumstances. And I don't know about you, but when you are worrying about all these things that are struggles and trials and difficulties and things that you would never choose, doesn't it just wear on you? It just wears on you. And after a while, it's just like, ugh. You're exhausted mentally, physically, spiritually even. Because worry has taken the place of trust. 
And God says, And it shall come to pass at the time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps. He says, This is a dark place. And I'm, I mean, picture of this a darkness. And he says, I'm bringing light into it. Why? And punish the men who are settled in complacency. He says, Don't settle. Don't settle. God is able. Luke chapter 12 and verse 19. Luke chapter 12, verse 19 says this. It says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Just, just relax. You got, you got a supply. Don't worry about it. That's the flesh speaking. That's not the spirit. What does it say? You keep trusting. You keep working. Don't settle back and do nothing. You know what does my heart good is when I see someone who's up in years, late 70s, into their 80s, sometimes even into their 90s, still active, still serving, still taking steps, still moving forward. That's awesome. I love that. What does that say? It says, I'm not giving up. I might slow down a little bit, but I'm not stopping. Still want to see God do some things. I still want to trust God to work in and through me. Um. Someone said to me last week, thank you for thinking of things that I can do at my age. There's something all of us can do if we're willing. God wants to use us. He wants to work in and through us. I don't know about you, but those are things that God does in our lives if we're willing to let him use use us. Then number three, I believe that many of us are not willing to change what we are doing to gain the peace we desire. Why? Sometimes we're just secure where we're at. I have no peace. I have no rest. I'm exhausted mentally, physically, spiritually. But at least I know my circumstances. I've met a couple people who've been in abusive relationships, been in their homes, stepped in between a man wanting to hit a woman. And I said, You need to get out of here. And they don't leave because there's the worry of the unknown. At least here I got food. At least here I have a roof over my head. At least here I have a blanket and a bed. So for the security, they stay, even though they have no rest, no peace, no joy, no satisfaction. Or the unknown, if I, if I take this step, what does it mean? I mean, if I really want rest, I really want peace, I really want to be at the feet of Jesus, but... I really don't know what that means. There's the unknown. Sometimes it's mistakes of the past and failures of the past that hold us right where we're at, that rob us of our joy, rob us of our peace, physically, mentally, spiritually. Well, I tried that before. It didn't work. I did, I did something like that before, and I just ended up in failure. So for fear of making another mistake and for fear of future failures, we just stay there not satisfied. And I think there's even sometimes even a lack of trust. No faith. Once again, just like the people in Zephaniah 112, just complacent. I have no no hope that anything's going to be any different, so why bother? And sometimes that comes and you've been beaten down and worn out week after week, month after month, and you say, 
I don't know what to do. It comes back to what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. All you that labor are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Over and over, coming at the feet of Jesus. And let me just say this, and this is where I said once again, some of you will be upset with me. Some of you have not learned. You've not learned to say no. So how do I know that? Because I'm one of those guys. I have a hard time saying no to people. I have every good intention, just like you. And in the busyness of not saying no, I haven't said yes to Jesus. And I haven't said no to the things that steal my time so that I can take a few moments and sit at Jesus' feet. It happens. We don't mean for it to happen, but it does. And if you don't plan for it, it's a plan to not do it. Right? You've heard it before. If I don't plan to do it, it's a plan not to do it. Because I haven't consciously, specifically, intensively done it. Made it time to do it. So how many of us are willing to give up the niceties, not the necessities, the niceties of life? Cable. Going out to eat. Spending time with friends. Expensive drinks, hobbies, whatever. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is that, that we are trying to maintain. Relationships. And let me just tell you, some relationships are exhausting. You, you, know, you know what it is. It's that phone's like, oh, oh, Lord, do I have to answer this? Oh, if I don't answer, they're going to keep calling. Oh, Lord. They're going to say about this, this, and this, and I'm going to tell them this, this, and this, and they're not going to listen. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good to hear from you. Wow, yeah, it's been, been a couple days, yeah. Some relationships are exhausting. Anybody have one of those? Yeah, a few of you. <laughs> I see the. <laughs> <coughs> it's so true, though, isn't it? Have we ever learned to say no to what we know is not healthy? To know what is better for us. <coughs> I want to leave you with three verses. The first one is Isaiah chapter 26. If you would turn there. Isaiah chapter 26. You know the verse. It's a familiar verse. Matt's probably already got it up there. There we go. The title of the message this morning in this series of Running on Empty is The Means to Perfect Peace. He says this, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let me rephrase that, Ken Todd paraphrase. You will keep him in perfect peace because I will take away all struggles, trials, and difficult circumstances in your life so that you have nothing else to worry about, therefore you'll have peace. Is that what it says? No. Folks, you're not going to get away from the struggles of life. You're not going to get away from those things that can have a potential to bring you down. That's what God uses. If God didn't want you to go through them, you wouldn't go through them. He allows them for a reason, for a purpose. So that you'll learn, so that you'll grow, so that you'll learn to trust. So what he says is you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in you. 
So I said in the, in the definition this morning, the peace that I'm referring to comes because you are trusting in God, because you are purposefully positioning your mind on God. Let me say that again. Purposefully positioning. You are making a conscious effort to put your mind on God. You are saying no to some things so that you can say yes to God. You are saying no to going some places so that you can spend time with God. You are saying no to some people so that you can spend time in the Word and prayer. You are saying no to circumstances so that you can draw close to Him. That's why I say we hear these things and it's so easy just to gloss over them and pretend like, oh yeah, I got that, no worries. And we really haven't experienced the benefit of being with God purposefully positioning your mind on God because you trust Him completely and what He is doing in your life. So He said, you will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Turn back to Philippians over in the New Testament here. Philippians 4. This is the second one I want to leave you with. Philippians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians By the way, I'm just saying that for myself. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for the big stuff. Right? Be anxious for the big stuff, because God understands the big stuff really gets you. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, don't let stuff get in the way of trusting in me. So easy to do. It is. We all struggle with that. I was thinking just this morning, I'm I'm preaching on running on empty in this series and having peace and the things that rob us of our peace. And I get a phone call or a text during... uh, um, Bible, Sunday school this morning. It's from David. And I sent him a text last night. He must have already been in bed. And I said, hey, are you good? And he says, didn't answer. And so when your kids that are 1,500 miles away don't answer, you kind of go on Life 360, where is he? Is he home? Is he not home? And Verizon stinks in Houston, so location cannot be determined. My kid's 1,600 miles away. He's not answering his texts and responses, though, and I can't find where he's located. Dad's like, uh, guess what? I wish I could figure that out, right? I mean, right? That's what we do. So the text that I left him with last night, are you good? Are you okay? Never was answered. So I'm sitting in Sunday school, and I get the text answered. No, I need to talk to you. Oh, Lord, what now? He goes, uh, I'm going to church, and my transmission went out. And I'm sitting there going, really? I said, where are you at? I mean, it could be anywhere. So most weekends he goes to his grandparents' house, which is an hour and a half drive. So I'm, where are you? He goes, I'm eight miles from my house. And what, is, what do we want to do as a parent when your kid is 1,600 miles away? You want to fix that somehow, right? Guess what? You can't fix it. I can't fix it. You can't fix it. He can't fix it. Not at the moment. And I'm thinking, here I am. 
preaching on peace this morning, and hey, Lord, you going to let this rob me of this one? Because I don't like it. I don't like it. I want to do something about it. That's what we do as parents. And I don't care what the age is, right? I used to hear that when my kids were little. It doesn't matter when they get 20-some years old. You still worry about them thinking, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you do, right? I'm learning some things as I get older. Philippians 4. He says this. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I come up here to the front, and my wife and I, we just sat and prayed. She goes, let's pray. Because that's what's going to help. So we just took a minute, stopped, and prayed. Because these things are going to happen. We wouldn't pick them. We wouldn't choose them. But there are some things that we can do. We can either sit there and dwell on what's not right and try to worry about it and let this steal our joy and our rest and our peace, or we can give it to God, which is what we need to be doing, right? Let me give you one last verse. John 14. This is a familiar verse. You all know this. John 14. And verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You want peace? You want joy? You want contentment? You want rest? It's only going to be found by getting at the feet of Jesus. That's it. There's no other way of doing it. There's no other way of getting it. How many actors have committed suicide this year, in the last two years? I mean, a ton. Last three, four years, a ton of famous people have killed themselves. And I think to myself, man, you got an unlimited supply of dough, man. I mean, I mean, think about it. You got millions and millions and millions can go anywhere you want, do whatever you want, as often as you want, with whoever you want, foot the bill, everything's covered, but still, no peace. Alcoholics everywhere, trying to drink away life's problems, only to have the temporary satisfaction of forgetting it to come back a day or two later or hours later. People wrapped up in drugs and drugs and immorality, sexuality, pornography, trying to avoid what's miss or trying to find what's missing in their life. Search as they may, they won't find it until they find Jesus. We've heard this stuff a million times, right? I mean, if you've been in church at all, you've heard this. It's not nothing new. The difference is not in what we know. The difference is in what we practice. I know I'm supposed to clean my room, right, but if you don't do it, you're still going to have the wrath of mom on you. Take out the trash. Well, I I know I'm supposed to take out the trash, but if you don't do it, you're going to have dad yelling at you. There's always repercussions to failed actions. And the action that God wants us to take is he says, come 
to me. Lay your burdens at my feet. Cast your burdens at my feet. I know the principle, but until I do it, nothing's going to change. I don't know about you, but it's easy not to because we don't think it's going to change. Can I just challenge you this morning? He says very clearly, I'll keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. That's an intentional decision that we make daily. It's not a once and done. It's not, well, I gave my life to Christ seven years ago, so it's all perfect now. It's a daily saying, God, I need you today. Today, God, I'm putting my trust in you. Today, God, I'm looking for you to open up doors, to, to work in my life, to use me. To, God, God, I don't know about you, but squirrel, I'm so easily distracted. I think when I was a kid, ADD or ADHD, whatever, that stuff wasn't even, I don't know if it was ever mentioned, but if it is, I probably had it. I'm just saying, I'm easily distracted by everything. I'm full of good intentions. God, will you help me stay focused? Because I want to go 10 million other directions. That's why I say prayer is the best sleep medicine in the world. After, at the end of a long day, it's like, I don't need no, what do you call that? Sleep stuff? I don't know. I don't, I don't need that stuff. Just start praying. 10,000 other things will come to mind and you're out. We're distracted. It's an intentional, God, keep me focused today. God, I need you today. God, I don't have to tell you what I'm going through. You know what I'm going through. God, I need you. But the only way for that to happen, the only way for that to happen is for us to say no to some things that are self-imposed time wasters. Not bad things always, but as I've said many times, are we willing to give up what's good for what's better? And maybe for some of us, what's better for what's best? Are we willing to say no? Are we willing to lay some things at the feet of Jesus again? Are we willing to cast our burdens at his feet so that we can find that rest, that peace, that joy that he wants us to have as his children? Nobody can do that for you. I did tell someone this week, you got eight things that you feel responsible for this week. Why? Why? Get rid of half of them. They're not things that you have to do. You put these things on yourself. Get rid of them. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. Well, I enjoy doing that. Right. But because you enjoy doing that, now you're exhausted and wasted and tired. Get rid of those few things so that you can do the things that you should be doing. Right? Say, some, say no to some things. Yeah, you'll irritate some people. This week I had a couple people from another church call me and ask me if I would do a, an accountability Bible study with them because they didn't really want to talk with their pastor. As much as I want to say yes, I said I can't do it right now. I want to, but I can't. There's enough work here. Talk to your pastor. Talk to some men in your church. I can't do it. We have to say no sometimes. I don't like to, but we have to. I don't know about you, but what is it that you got, that God is showing you that you need to say no to so that you can say yes to him more often? Let's pray.